morning. Just before we send the kids to Children's Church, I want to thank all those who help in that ministry. Um, Tamara is away today, and so Tammy's filling in, and we're so grateful for all of you who uh, help out. I was actually double booked today. I was supposed to be in Children's Church and preach today, so, <laughs> so we're so grateful for um, all those mechanisms, all those individuals who, who desire to minister um, to our kids. So let's just uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning from your word that this would not just be uh, a knowledge, but Lord, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would uh, hear these most important truths that they would affect how we live, how we think, and how we act. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. So the kids are all dismissed. You're welcome to go to your classes. And if you would turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians, we're going to continue our study there. Um, Today, We're going to be looking at the supremacy of Christ. We looked last week at the glory of God as he has revealed himself in his word, the word of God. The message last week was the sufficient gospel. Today we are looking at the glory of God revealed in God the Son, Christ Jesus, and his supremacy. He is supreme. And his supremacy should affect us in every way. So, look, so if you would uh, please look at the text with me. We'll read through it. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul,
became a ministry. Jesus, so in your notes, again, um, the underlined words are the blanks in your notes. Um, so just an explanation. Jesus, supreme of creation. Jesus, supreme of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm so grateful for our pastor taking us through um, the study of the Trinity just before he left. Uh, that was so helpful. And uh, here we have this fabulous proclamation. He is the image of the invisible God. You remember in our study of Exodus, in chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, please show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is so full of glory. He is so holy. He cannot. And He is spirit. But in John chapter 1, verse 18, as, we are, as the Apostle John was introducing us to God's being, the Lord Jesus Christ being eternal, he said this in John 1, 18, he said, No one has seen the Father has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And here we have this proclamation. He is the image of the invisible God. This verse in uh, John 1.18, the word... Uh, has made him known is the Greek word exegesis, which means to bring out of. It's what we refer to in, in preaching. We want to bring out the meaning from the text. God has brought out, has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the God-man. God is spirit, and those who worship him must Worship in spirit and truth, John 4 says. He is also the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. And Pastor explained this to us as we were going through the study on the Son of God, the member of the Trinity. But I want to take some time here to also go over this. This refers to Jesus' position, not time. You see, 
some people have used this to, to say that Jesus was born and God, was, God has not always been God the Father. He became God the Father when Jesus was born. And they do not equate Jesus the Son with God the Father, which is against what Scripture teaches. This refers to Jesus' position. Through, throughout Scripture, God has shown that He exercises His freedom in His sovereignty to select individuals in spite of their birth order and bestow on them the rights and privileges and honor of the primary one. Remember, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, but God said distinctly, I have chosen Jacob. And Esau I hated. Jacob came, he was born second. He was grabbing Esau's heel. And thus, thus he was given the name Jacob. He was not a pleasant person. In fact, that grabbing of his heel was indicative of his, of his life as he, we would see him grow up. He was a, one who would want to supplant his brother. He was a liar, a cheater. One who would trip his brother. That's, the, that's what was so amazing. He was born that way, grabbing his brother's heel to take advantage of that, his brother's position. And yet God said, I have chosen Jacob. Also the story a little later on with Joseph's children. As now God changed Jacob's name because God had also chosen Jacob, or changed Jacob from the inside out. God changed his name and gave him the name Israel. And Joseph brought his sons to Israel's bedside as Israel was dying, and he was blind. And Jacob, or Joseph rather, brought his son Manasseh to Jacob's, or Israel's, right hand, because he was the oldest. And he brought Manasseh to J Israel's left hand, that Israel might bless them. And what did Israel do? He crossed his hands. He put his right hand on the youngest and his left hand on the oldest. And he blessed them accordingly. He said in Genesis chapter 48, Jake and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right and hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was firstborn. God shows this continually. His sovereign free will he exercises in pr promoting it, if you would, that who, should who we would not think should be promoted. But He has done that for each one of us too, hasn't He? He has blessed us in knowing Him and being saved by Him. Jesus told others He was eternal in, in speaking of this firstborn of all creation. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, I am. Before Abraham, I am. He was, and he gave the title of God, God's name to himself. I am the eternal one. In uh, John chapter 14, speaking to his disciples, who asked him to show us the Father, Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived and born, who lived in total obedience to God and qualified as heir in complete holiness. Thus, he is referred to as the firstborn of all creation. John chapter 17 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's take a pause here now and let's look back at God's promises throughout the Scripture. Remember, even before, or at, at a similar time, when, when Jacob, Israel, was blessing his sons. And he did not give the birthright to the oldest. In fact, he went down to the fourth son. He bypassed Reuben, who was the oldest, and Simeon, and Levi. And he came to Judah. And he blessed Judah this way. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crushed as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here, even through this, this time long before Christ, God was promising that through Judah, there would be a ruler, a ruler who would rule forever. Later on in history, God promised David an everlasting kingdom from his descendants. David was wanting to build God a house. He, 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 remember, he was a, the last 
in his family born. And God had raised him up from a shepherd boy to a king. And he was living in a house, his house, and he realized God did not have a house. God had a tent, a tabernacle. And so he came to Nathan, the prophet, and he said, I want to build God a house. And Nathan came back to him and said, I have a message from God. Instead of you building me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And he was talking about his family. He was talking about his lineage. That from David would come an everlasting line of kings. Who we see as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see repeatedly in the book of Matthew especially that Jesus was a son of David. Isn't this Fabulous, isn't this fascinating that God raised up Jesus, who is the firstborn of all creation, to be an everlasting king? From, from this also comes this psalm, Psalm 89. I invite you to, to look at this. It's, it's so amazing, so wonderful. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. In prophecy of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this fulfilled as the angel came to Mary and she told her, that she would have a son. Um, Luke chapter 1, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. No end. Most of the promises God made to David in regarding to the future reign of Jesus Christ are, not, are yet to come. They have not been fulfilled yet. We anticipate, we get to anticipate these prophecies coming true in Christ, coming again, establishing His kingdom here on earth and ruling. Just as we have learned that the story, the good news of the gospel includes his restoration of all things. We come now to this amazing statement, the statement that we read in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1 and in John chapter 1. For by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1 says. Everything made bears the stamp made by Jesus. Jesus spoke and He created out of nothing. He created all things. Even the angels. Even the demons. Though they were not demons at the time of their creation. They were angels to minister to God. Made to minister to God. He has sovereign authority. In Romans chapter 1, we're told that this is so evident that every person on earth is without excuse. Romans 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were heart darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They began to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And that we are no different today, are we? We see this huge push and this huge movement of worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. But what does that tell us? According to Romans 1, it tells us that we are without excuse. Because for there to be a creation, there must be a God who created it. And He has authority. Even though people will go out of their way and bend over and do all kinds of mental and philosophical gymnastics to try to deny a Creator. Because if there's a Creator, they must obey Him. And they refuse. They exalt themselves as gods. They create images that they worship. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He 
for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews chapter 2. We long for the, as I mentioned, for the restoration of all things in Christ coming and establishing His kingdom in the restoration of creation. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We long for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ who will restore all things. I was just talking this morning with, with Carl who, you know, we get so tired of the second law of thermodynamics, don't we? We get so tired of having to fix things over and over and over and things falling apart. We long for Christ to come back and get rid of that law. <laughs> He's going to. And we're going to see this next statement. For by Him all things were created and by Him all things hold together. Verse 17 and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Christ Jesus is the sustainer of the world. He is the sustainer of the world. By Him all things hold together. Colossians, um, Romans 11 says, for, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Romans 11.36 Nehemiah said, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. We have the power of God. We have the power of God. But don't worry if you don't feel strong. <laughs> this is how God works to keep us in a posture of dependence. The weaker you feel, the more you lean on God. You may not feel His power, but God will give you strength as it is needed. We cannot experience God's power by focusing on ourselves, however, or our circumstances, or the world around us. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
we must focus on Him. We must rely on Him as the sustainer of the world. My second point this morning is that Jesus is supreme of the church. He is supreme of the church. Verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He is the head of the church. The church is described as His body, a living organism. We are members of that body if we have put our faith and trust in Him. Jesus told this amazing parable in John chapter 10, and it is so awesome. Just want to read this. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He says I, here, I am. He's again proclaiming his deity and his sufficiency. The, he's a good shepherd. He takes care of the needs of his sheep. He gives them protection in the fold. He leads them. He meets and cares for their needs. Especially as a de- the, his dependence of the flock. But he is exclusive. He says he is the only way. He is the only good shepherd. And then he's proclaiming his goodness. He is morally, perfectly, excellently, beautifully superior. He is perfect in character, person, and being. And he describes how he exhibits that goodness in dying for his sheep, in loving his sheep, in gathering them, and in uniting them. What a a beautiful proclamation of His ministry to us. We see in verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. His incarnation. God became man. He took on flesh took on flesh. How can that be? How can an infinite God, omnipotent in power, omnipresent, omniscient, take on the limitations of flesh? But that's what God did. He was, you, you, we all know the Christmas story. He, he was born to Mary, as we read, and as a baby who had to be fed He suffered through His whole life in comparison to His riches in heaven as Lord, Master, God. But He did that for you and for me. He identified with us. 
He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. He fulfilled God's commands for mankind. He alone did that. None of us. There's been no one who has ever lived who has been able to do what Jesus did. And then he paid the price that God demanded because of our sin, because of that gap, that break in relationship that we had established with God through sin, because of sin. He paid that price that we might have reconciliation, that we might have peace with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus revealed the glory of God as He walked among men. Secondly, we see the atonement of Christ. Verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Romans chapter 3 says this, for there is no distinction. No distinction. How easy it is for us to, to look at someone else and say, oh man, what a sinner. We start comparing ourselves with them and, well, their, their degree of sin is, so they're so worse than I could ever be. And yet, what does this say? There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. So, Lord, help us not to make distinctions. God, in Christ Jesus, as we continue on reading this verse, gave of Himself to save us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, as a payment by His blood, to be received by faith. There was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Not only are we not saved because of our works, we cannot do enough good works to undo the fact that we have 
sinned. Even sinning one time in our whole life makes us a sinner. So we cannot undo that by any amount of works. Our works are as filthy rags, the Scripture says. We aren't saved because of our worship. Did you know that? Just because we worship God? A pastor referred to Jesus walking on the water. And you know, when He got to the boat after Peter had tried to go walking on the water to him as well, and did for a little bit until he saw the storm and the winds around him and he began to sink. But when Jesus grabbed Peter and they both stepped into the boat, the Scripture says they worshipped Him. They all worshipped Him. Who was in that boat? Judas was in that boat. Judas worshipped Christ. And yet we read later that Satan entered Judas. And Judas, as we know, Judas betrayed Christ. James tells us that even the demons believe and shudder in James 2.19. So just even involved, being involved in worship does not make you a possessor of Christ. You must receive him, His work on your behalf. His work. Because His work was complete. It was sufficient. So not only is Christ supreme, He is sufficient sufficient for you to save you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and through Christ. And through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Just this last week, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was over in North Korea, wasn't he? He was the United States ambassador. And as a result of his being an ambassador, three United States citizens were released from captivity. And there's the hope, there's the anticipation of a meeting with our president and Kim Jong-un. You see, he was an ambassador. He was paving the way. He was representing us to this 
dictator. Christ Jesus has called us to be ambassadors of this reconciliation, this message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. If you have received this reconciliation, you are now called by God to tell others. Don't keep it a secret. Don't hide it under a bushel. Share it. And this is what Paul says in this text. He says, The hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Have you noticed all the alls in this text? I told you to watch out for the word full, right? As we go through Colossians. Well, again, we see this in the word all. Look, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Christ is supreme. Verse 16, all things were created through Him and for Him. Verse 17, He is before all things. He is supreme. And in Him, all things hold together. Verse 18, Everything that He might be preeminent. In Him, all the fullness of God dwells. And verse 20, Through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. You see the testimony here in this text of Jesus' sufficiency and His supremacy. So what is our response? What, how can we answer? How should we react and respond to this message of the supremacy of Christ? This glorious revelation that God has given us in this text. Jesus is preeminent. And 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all. That those who might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. That is what Christ calls us to. To no longer live for ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, for the exaltation, the, the glory, glory that You are due. Lord, we pray that our hearts might shout praises to You. That we might truly worship You in spirit and in truth. But Lord, that You would not only bring us to worship, but that You might bring our lives in conformity to Your Son. Because that is what You have said You would do. The good that You promised in Romans 8.28. The good for all those who love You. In verse 29, that we would be conformed to Your image. Lord, that requires faith. 
And Lord, we acknowledge we need that faith. We need faith. When things get tough, when things start going out of our control and we don't know what is happening, we don't know what is going to happen, Lord, we need faith to believe these things we've learned today, that You are Creator, that You are Sustainer, that You are our Head, that You are in control, that You have gone before us, that You know our suffering and will not allow us to suffer anything beyond we are able. You have atoned us. You have reconciled to us to God through Your atonement through your payment of, for our sin by the blood of your Son. And you call us to be ambassadors of this good news. Lord, would you do that in our hearts and in our lives? We pray.